Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. So it's interesting enough in my junior high days, I discovered something pretty interesting about me. I mean, junior high days are interesting. If you're in them now, you'll say they're interesting someday. But I found something interesting about myself in my junior high days, and that was this. I really liked team sports. And I didn't know that before my junior high days because I was that rebel 80s skater thrasher kid who was bucking the system and didn't play team sports. I loved baseball, but like really my heart was like being the loner who was like angry and wore black all the time. But then all of a sudden in gym class, I picked up a basketball and I could kind of throw it into the hoop. And so I'm like, this is kind of cool, right? So I started playing and I realized I could kind of jump and shoot at the same time. And all of a sudden, all these things start coming together. I'm like, I think I can play basketball. So I started playing like religiously all the time, practicing over and over and over again. I got a hoop uh, as a gift, and so I went in the back, and I would shoot baskets two hours a day. I was obsessed with basketball. As I was playing, and I would keep practicing, I said, okay, I'm going to try out for the team. I think I can make it. And strangely enough, in my junior high days, I was pretty much the height I am now. So I am a tall guy in junior high who can kind of shoot the basketball. It's a good thing. You're probably going to make the team. So sure enough, I made the team. And as I'm playing on the team, I didn't really understand basketball. I just like to play and shoot basketball. I was blown away. These kids have been playing their whole life. And here walks on this kind of tall kid who can kind of shoot, but he's a skater still. Uh, do I really fit in? But I didn't care. I played all the time. I became obsessed with the game of basketball. And so in eighth grade, we played, 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 and I was recognized in the city and was called to an all-star team to play for our city as an eighth grader. So now all of a sudden, my ego's like through the roof, like, oh, I am the man. Like, you know, like all the girls are like fainting after me, and like, it's, it's my dream here, right? I get to tell a story. You're listening. Uh, the truth is I had a little baby brother who they really liked anyways, but it's, it's none the set because the cheerleaders would talk to him, not me. True story, but I thought in my head I was a big deal, and I dreamed my next step is the NBA. Like every kid who can play basketball, everybody dreams that they are going to be in the NBA, and so I started playing even more, and I'm on this all-star team, like this is so awesome, I'm the man, and I went to high school, went to tryouts, I put everything out on the line, I'm doing, but, but there's a problem that happened, that happened between eighth grade and ninth grade. Everybody grew and I didn't. So all of a sudden, I go from a power position who rebounds and boxes people out to I'm the short guy on the team who has to now have to learn how to dribble, which I never had to do that before, like get ball, bounce, bounce, layup, right? Like that was my job. So all of a sudden, I'm not that good. And so I go into tryouts. I give everything I can in this tryout. I'm going for it all. And I was the very last person cut. It broke my heart. Because here I go from this idea of my identity, I'm part of a team, I'm part of a family, I'm part of this larger group of people who are playing all the time, to now I'm no longer part of the team. And my identity was gone. So if we remember to our junior high days or our junior high listening right now or watching online, it's really hard to lose your identity when you're a part of something. 
who am I if I wasn't Jason, the basketball city all-star, cut from the team? But this is something that I realized. Some people have some God-given things that I didn't. Some people were just taller than I was. Some people could shoot better than I could. Some people could dribble. They just had a God-given talent. I worked as hard as I could, but I realized my God-given talent wasn't going to get me to the NBA. I, I didn't have it. That wasn't my future. I worked hard. I loved playing, but it, I didn't have what they had. And I learned a lesson extremely early. At the tender age of 14, some people are just set up to win. Some people are given advantages that others do not have. I prayed to be 6'6 and be able to dunk like Michael Jordan every day of my life. I would go in my backyard and I would practice. Now, if you guys don't know Michael Jordan's signature move, it's a turnaround jumper from the baseline. I would practice. If you think Kobe did it, you're wrong. It's Michael. And I would practice and practice and practice. And I would practice every move. I couldn't dunk. Other guys on the team were getting up. And even as freshmen, some of them are dunking the ball. And I'm like, lay up, touch the net. Like, I didn't have it. I didn't have the advantages they had. And then I find out some of these kids have been playing their whole life. They have advantages. They're going to camps. They're going here. I didn't have those advantages. At the age of 14, I realized that sometimes people just are set up to win. People are given advantages financially. People are given advantages racially. People are given advantages educationally. People have advantages physically. Think about the advantages that you have today. Think about the advantages that you have over another people group, economic status. I mean, anything. Some people I just have advantages. It doesn't mean that they can't make it. It didn't mean that I wasn't going to make the NBA. What it meant is I did not have the God-given talent to make the NBA <laughs> and have it. My other friends, they had a different skill I had. And that's a hard lesson to learn when you are trying to figure out who am I and what is my identity? But the truth is just this. Just because someone has an advantage, an advantage doesn't mean that they do win. I've been on teams with people with more skills, talents, and abilities that I, could, I dreamed to have, but they didn't care. Meh. They, they took their advantage for granted. They didn't really think about it. Wouldn't show up to practice. It didn't matter to them. They'd slough off. I would look at them and say, you have more God-given talent in your pinky than I have in my entire body, and you're throwing it all away. If I could jump like you, I would do this, this, this. I would talk to myself like this, and I would see that just because people have advantages doesn't mean they win. Just because you have an advantage right now doesn't mean that you're going to win. And that's where we're going to pick up our introduction to a man named Samson. Samson is new to you. Samson is a classic figure in Old Testament that for those who are Sunday school attenders have heard stories of, of this man who had incredible strength. He was chosen by God to do all these things. And what we're going to explore today is something maybe you haven't thought of before. Samson had advantages that nobody else had. He had advantages with his upbringing. He had advantages with being set apart for God. He had advantages and he threw them all away. He was given a godly upbringing but it doesn't guarantee godly behavior. And so I want to speak to those right now who may be kids in here or teens who are watching online. You are given advantage right now at this moment in day if your parents have spoken the name of Jesus Christ in your home. That's not happening in some homes. That's not even spoken in most homes these days. If you have a parent 
who is trying the best they can. And if you think that parents are always right, we are. No, but <laughs> we make mistakes. And you say, well, I can't believe God's real if my parents do this or that. We're all human. What I'm saying is this. If you have an advantage, if Jesus Christ has spoken in your home, if your family challenges you to grow, if they encourage you to be involved, to be engaged with the word of God, you have an advantage that many do not have. But godly upbringing does not guarantee godly behavior. Your advantage does not mean you're actually going to go through with it. And so the story of Samson kicks off with exactly that. So we're going to be in Judges chapter 13, verses 1 through 14. If you want to flip there in your Bibles, your Bible apps, iPads, whatever you use. And here's my challenge to us Mosaic family. I challenge you to read the book of Judges for the next four weeks. This four-week series, read it over and over again. If you have not been in the book of Judges, it's a fantastic book. And I'm going to give you a background as you guys are flipping to it. The background is this. There's a time of period where judges are asked to come in, and it's also a time period, but also a book of the Bible, where the judges come after the death of Joshua. Joshua is this great military leader. He had led Israel into the promised land after Moses brought him to the edge. Joshua goes in, and then there's times of this entrance of Samuel at the very end. There's this period called the judges, and the judges has a very clear pattern. In the book of Judges, we see the people rebel. Over and over again, the nation of Israel rebels against God. They start moving towards other gods, and, and they start doing idolatry, and they start to not believe in God anymore. Then God brings judgment, and God brings judgment in the way of an outside foreign people coming and taking them over. Very interesting. If you think that sin, that sin doesn't have consequences, you're wrong. Though we're forgiven of sin, sin still has consequences. And so their disobedience, God said, okay, very well, if you're not going to listen to me, then I'm going to let them have you. So then people start crying out, God help us, God help us. And the cool thing about this is that even when we're knuckleheads, God still listens. So if you feel you can't talk to God because you're too far gone, you've messed up too much, all you have to do is read the book of Judges. I don't know if they're worse than you, they might be at least in line with you, right? God loves us knuckleheads, I love it. So then God raises up a deliverer or a judge, and that judge then sits at a place uh, was the people repent, they turn back to God. And as they turn back to God, they would then go back into the cycle again, over and over again. God, we're sorry. Yay, God, we don't like you. We don't believe in you. Bring a judge. Yay, God, we love you. Thank you so much. We don't believe you. Over and over and over again. Interesting about this is that God disciplines Israel through an outside group, people group. But at the same time, God disciplines the outside people group through Israel. So you'll see wars and battles and back and forth that God uses people in this situation actually to do his work whether they believe in him or not. His will is still going to be done and judges goes back and forth in this. So unfortunately, the judges don't really hold up very well and so the judges over time, they're flawed and they, they do things but they go back, will lead to an eventual king. They cry out and say, we need to have a king like everybody else around us and if you know who that story is, that King Saul is the first king of Israel, which then puts us into a story a little bit later in Samuel. So that leads us up to Judges, and we're here with Samson. I'm going to read from verse 1 again. We're 13, 1 through 14. I encourage you to read along around the screen. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. There's our cycle. Again, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So he handed him over to the Philistines. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah 
from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless and unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you're going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and you eat nothing unclean. You will become pregnant and will have a son whose head is to never be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in uh, delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Then the woman went to her husband and told them, A man of God came to me. He looked like an angel of God. Very awesome. I didn't ask him where he came from, and he didn't tell me his name. But he said to me, You will become pregnant and have a son. Now then, drink no wine or other fermented drink, and do not eat anything unclean, because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from the womb until the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I like that. Excuse me. Pardon your servant, your servant, Lord. I beg that you let the man of God who you sent to us come again to teach us how to bring the boy up who was to be born. God heard Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman while she was out in the field, but her husband was not with her. The woman hurried to tell her husband, He's here, the man who appeared to me the other day. Manoah got up and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said, Are you the man who talked to my wife? I am, he said. So Manoah asked him, When your words are fulfilled, what is to be the rule that governs the boy's life and work? The angel of the Lord answered, Your wife must do all that I've told her. She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, nor drink any wine or other fermented drink, nor eat anything unclean. She must do everything I have commanded her. So it begins with the cycle of Israel. Israel now is in trouble once again. I don't know if you can relate to this in your own life. You get in trouble, God, please help me. Oh, everything's good. The prayer of the, of the sinner, if you will. God, if you just get me out of this mess, I promise I'll go to church every day of my life, give all my money to the poor. If you just help me get an A on that, that test I didn't study for, I'll do whatever you want, right? We cry to God, you get what you want. Oh, I don't remember that prayer. I didn't ask that. You, know, like, I mean, you just totally forget. But this is what's happened once again. God, please help us. They bring a judge. Now, 40 years, the Philistines are there. And so God brings in Samson, begins with a snapshot of his parents. So his parents are his mom, barren, unable to have children, and there's miraculous birth of a barren woman giving birth to a son. Now, I I don't know that pain, but I've walked with people who have been through that, and I know that can be a very hard place to be for the women. I know that that can be a place of pain, a place of hurt, a place of disappointment. And I know that as we understand, even scripturally, she's a human being who actually lived. She's barren and can't have children, but just was told, you're going to have a child. An amazing, I mean, wow, like, okay. Could you imagine someone walking up to you like, hey, I don't know you, but you're going to have a kid. But she's like, he's magnificent. There's something about this person. She didn't know what he was, if he was an angel. He was like, like this, like just radiant, he's magnificent. And so there's something about this man who comes and speaks to her, but they didn't know yet it was an angel from the Lord. So she's barren, this miraculous birth is coming, but it's foretold there's certain instructions that have to be followed for this child because he's to be a Nazarite. Now, unless you study a lot of Hebrew and Bible, Nazarite's a word you may not understand. Nazarite comes from the Hebrew word nazir, and nazir means consecrated or separated. Consecrated or separated. These group of people were specially devoted and a special calling by God to be set apart among even the set-apart people of Israel. 
Nazarites now have their own extra things that they follow because they are to live a life set apart for the purposes special of God. Nazarites, as, uh, as we see here with uh, Samson, has a bunch of rules. These additional rules prevent the Nazarite from being infected or being uh, unable to be part of God's work. And so there's certain things. They never want him to be unhindered. They don't ever want him to accidentally have too much wine at a party when he has a special calling from God. There's something that shows with the non-cutting of their hair that they've taken this special vow. Their hair is uncut at this moment. They have a special calling by God. Now, I'm not a Nazarite, obviously it's my head shaved, but you can imagine someone walking around with extremely long hair, never cut their entire life, they're going to stand out. And that person then would be known in the community as someone who's taken the vow of a Nazarite. If they were to do anything that made them unclean was a whole nother story. So Nazarites had several rules here. One of them is not mentioned, but part of the Nazarite creed. One, no wine or fermented drink. Both wine and anything fermented of any sort of grains or anything of that portion, they were not supposed to touch alcohol. Secondly, you don't cut your hair. Thirdly, you don't go near dead bodies. Dead bodies is something that would uh, make them unclean ceremonially. They have to be ready and ready to go at all times for the calling that God has on their life. Finally, the uneating, the eating of unclean animals as laid out in Leviticus 11. Now, I could read to you all of this, all of Leviticus 11, and there's a lot of different animals that are there, but I'll simply show you this picture. I'm going to summarize it for you. You can't eat pork, bacon, or ham. You got me on bacon. No rabbits, hares, or rodents. No web-footed birds and their eggs. No birds of prey. Any selfish or fish, both without scales and fins, so like the slimy eels, those kind of things. Eels, snails, and all creeping things that crawl on the ground on their bellies. Creeping things. There was a set-apartness for the people of all of Israel not to eat these unclean things, and that was a part of what he had to do. But part of this, multiple reasons, part of this has to do with just simply hygiene. One of the reasons why God had his people set apart to not eat these things is a communal tribal group of people. As they're traveling, these are unclean animals that they pass on diseases quickly. So to carry these things and have them nomadly walk with you through the desert 40 years and everything they had there would cause a huge problem. Secondly, when they entered into a land, the group of Israel was supposed to look different from everybody else. They weren't supposed to be like everyone else. They were a chosen people by God to be set apart. So inside of a society, wherever they go, they are to be different. If they enter into a land, they are to be different. When you follow Jesus Christ, you are meant to be different. The New Testament doesn't squash the Old Testament. It actually makes it very clear for us. Because in the New Testament, God says we are to be set apart. God says we are supposed to be different in society. Now, the difference is with Israel, when they enter into a land of being conquered, they'd enter into the land and they were to wipe everything out. It, it sounds cruel, but let's be honest. Any influences that are left behind, you're going to be influenced by when you're supposed to be set apart. Think of your New Year's resolutions. Your New Year's resolution, whatever they are. I have mine. I, I'm sure you guys have something. I want to try to do this better or whatever. But then normal life influences you. You get back into normal things. That bag of chips is still sitting on the counter. 
oh, those look really good. Oh, that's a tub of dip. I will eat all of it right now. Like, it, it just happens because you don't set apart yourself. To set yourself apart for the goal of saying, I want to make better choices, you don't have junk food in your house. That is a way of setting yourself apart. If I'm not supposed to eat bacon, pork, rabbits, hares, I don't have them around me. They can be out there. We don't have them in pens to eat. So when the Israelites came into lands, they didn't obey God, and those cultures influenced them. God says you're supposed to be set apart. They didn't. They're influenced by the culture. They fall away from God. It's a snowball effect that happens because of their disobedience. I'm just wondering, do you have a snowball effect when you disobey what you know of God's truths? Do you see yourself compromising a little bit that leads to something else, that leads to something else, that leads down a pathway that's not good? So are the Israelites. And so here, he says, I want no unclean food for the mother to eat. Now, the mother hasn't taken the vow of the Nazarite, but she is not allowed to take, partake of this. The mom, while the baby is in the womb, is to not drink from it to drink, not to have unclean food. This baby will never be around it. And this mom took this vow to keep him in the right standing of a Nazarite. Something that we don't think about is the high calling that would be. She's not a Nazarite. She wouldn't eat unclean things, but according to culture and what they would do at that time, she didn't have the rules that they had. But yet this angel calls her to something above and beyond because this new baby coming, this Samson, is going to be something special. So this angel appears, but Manoah, who is Samson's father, says, hey, I have a request from you. I have a quest. Could you tell me how to raise this child and what he's supposed to do for work? Interesting, interesting question. How do we raise him and what's his work supposed to be? Maybe his concept is, hey, thanks, she's having the baby. It's my job here to help out. It's my job to help raise the family. And Barry Webb in a New International Commentary in the Old Testament says this, Manoah's prayer that Yahweh might send a messenger again expresses his entirely natural desire to know more. After all, he is the woman's husband and the father of the child to be born. But so far, the messenger has appeared only to his wife and spoken only of what she can do, not what Manoah has to do and what they are to do as a couple. Furthermore, in her report of what the messenger said, his wife has left out the very thing that Manoah wants to know, what they are to do for the child who is born. As head of the family, Manoah asks for a second visitation, this time to both of them, so that he will have the knowledge he needs to, to discharge his proper responsibilities as head of the family. So here, he's just, hey, I'm in this too, right? So this wasn't a miraculous birth. This was Manoah's child. And so this is my child. What do I do to take care of this one who is set apart? I, I get everything that's going on. What's my role? I love the response of the angel. I told you already, do this, do this, do this, do this. <laughs> he doesn't change anything. He doesn't add anything to it. He says, I told you, have him set apart. Don't let him eat unclean things. Don't cut his hair. No fermented drink. He didn't change the story. He said, keep him set apart. He didn't reveal the plan that God had for him. He didn't tell him, well, these are the seven things I want you to do to raise this kid differently. He said, here are the things I told her. Here's the things I'm telling you. And so as I look at that, I'm like, because my first thought, I'm a Noah all the way. I'm like, yeah, great. What are the seven things I have to do and get involved? Listen to your wife. That's what he said. <laughs> Listen to the message I gave you. That message was for both of you. Your child is to be set apart. Raise him set apart. That's your role as head of the family. Raise him set 
apart. God did not want Samson under any other influence except himself. God didn't want Samson to be a part of a story that wasn't part of God's story. God had Samson in his story set apart for his plan. So we move on. As children, (laughs) we know that our parents influence us. We've all been a child at one point or not, whether you remember or not. As children here today, your parents are influencing you. Some of you are like, this is rock star. I got the best parents ever. Some of us sit back and say, you know what? Not so much for me. We have been and still are greatly influenced by our parents. Your parents are still with you. You go back to a time growing up. You go back to the environment you grew up in. What environment did you grow up in as a child? What was your life like growing up? Some in here will say, my parents loved me. I was disciplined well, but with love. Um, I didn't like them all the time, but they were good. They, They loved me. I knew my parents cared about me. Some of you were set up to win. Some of you have families in here in which you were set up 100% to win all the way. You were given advantages that others do not have. Your family background, your story gives you an advantage like Samson. You were given many things. Some of us don't have that story. Some of us grew up and didn't have an awesome family. Some of our family experiences in here were ones of abuse, of pain, of betrayal. There are stories of brokenness, stories of divorce, stories of abandonment. There are stories of parental death. There are stories of terrible family experiences. There are stories in this room that are hard. And you weren't given an advantage. You're like, I'm behind the eight ball here. My parents didn't help me. My family environment didn't. In fact, you know what they did? Jason, let me tell you what my family did. My family set me up to fail. I love your story, Jason, how you're talking about being set up to win. My family's story, if you want to know, set me up to fail. And I was set up harder than you will ever know. Friends, you're correct. I don't know. But this is what I do know about how great our king is. Despite whether we're set up to win or we feel like we were set up to lose, it's still on us to follow Yahweh. It's still on us to follow the way of God. It's still on us to call out to the maker. Because however you started your story doesn't mean it's going to end that way. The way that we live our lives is our story with God intertwined. Because what we're going to find out about Samson, he was given all the advantages of the world, and he threw them all away. He was set up on a silver platter to do great things for the kingdom forever. He had power, influence. He had everything he could need. He was set apart. His mom did the right thing. His dad did the right thing. Threw it all away. Then the thing of what's so crazy about the stories in the scriptures are the ones who have the worst. It seems like they have no advantage. Do you feel like you understand I have no advantage? That's the one that God takes and uses for his glory Those are the ones, the stories that we see that God takes broken, messed up people. He uses them for a story that's bigger than ourselves. We have a God that uses both those who have advantages in in one sense and the broken. He uses all of our stories to bring us together for his story in the gospel. 
So if you have in your life huge mistakes, years you wish you could have back, maybe you're sitting there like, I had that advantage and I wasted. Maybe you're feeling like, I didn't have that advantage and I wasted. If you feel like there's, you could just go back and redo time, I say this to you. As you enter into 2021, first of all, please don't ask to go back. At least a year. But you can't go back. As you enter 2021, is this the year where you take that step forward to what God has for you? Not the past, but the future. The future, the way forward, what God has for you moving forward is for you and his story to start to intertwine. No matter where you are on your faith journey, doesn't matter where you are today, there is a step forward. There is greater. There's to be more like Jesus Christ. There are more disciples to be made. There are more lost people to be made. Our world needs love more than any time throughout human history, in my opinion. We need Jesus-following, God-fearing people to be on their knees praying and moving forward the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our job. And Samson, I ain't going to pick on him because he's one of our stories. He had the advantage. He wasted them. He had the advantages of family. He was set up to win. He had parents who did the right things. He had a godly upbringing. He was taught godly behavior. He did everything right in the terms of religion but something wasn't right going on inside of his heart. Regardless of your situation, no matter where you are today, Jesus offers us a new life. Jesus offers us forgiveness and relationship with him. You can be used right now. And I'm not just saying this. This isn't a motivational speech, friends. This is the word of God. Jesus can use you right now for his kingdom and his glory. You can be part of a story that's bigger than yourself to bring the hope, love, of Jesus Christ into a world that's broken and lost. What we're going to find about Samson is that he did not go that way and his life fell apart. This is just an introduction to a story of a man who was given everything but at the same time chose to throw it away. Regardless of your past, you are today still set up to win. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering. For service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.